Welcome to the Untangling Web3 podcast, your go-to hub to learn insights and the latest developments in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Alec Burns. And I'm Jack Davis. Tune in each week as we navigate and explore the rapidly emerging landscape of the Web3 technologies, projects, and ideas that are shaping the future of the internet. We'll be talking to the best and brightest in the industry to keep uncovering insights. So that hopefully we can all learn together on our journey to untangle Web3. Welcome to another episode of the Untangling Web3 podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different as we're going to be discussing some ongoing news in the Web3 world. More specifically, we're going to take a look at the hotly anticipated BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. Jack, this is everywhere right now. I'm glad that we're doing this. It's, uh, like I say, hotly anticipated. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a little bit different from usual, where we uh, we go through the the, the nitty gritty of uh, the history of some topic and how it relates to Web three. And this is really, you know, us talking about something that's actually happening right now. And if you've been online in the last few weeks, all you'll see is news about this Bitcoin ETF. And really, it's weird to call it news because nothing's actually happened yet. But it, mm. it's like people are anticipating the news. So what is it that people are anticipating? It's it's that. Uh, this 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 Bitcoin ETF that has been filed by BlackRock, one of the world's biggest asset asset management firms, is about to be approved. That's what the whispers are, and it was filed back in June of this year. But now it's approaching a point where people think it, it might get approval finally. So yeah, that's why that's why we had to talk about it because it, it has some real significant impl- implications. I think you know we'll get into the detail of whether they're good or bad but either way this is going to be huge for for bitcoin and web3 in general right yeah and like you said it nothing's actually happened yet right and like we're going to discuss some of the things that have kind of happened that are similar in the past like similar kind of examples of this stuff but one of the biggest things about this is it that it's blackrock that's doing it and like you mentioned they are the world's largest asset management firm, right? They're, I think the assets they manage are around nine to ten trillion dollars. So these are this is basically a country bigger than I think all countries in the world, apart from two to three. Um, so the fact that they're moving into this space, I hate to use the term because it's proper crypto, bro, but it's making lots of people bullish on Bitcoin right now, right? <laughs> no, don't, don't use it. Don't say it, Alec. We, we ridicule the crypto bros and all. It's just funny though, crypto. right? It's funny because we're so not there, but it's so funny to say it. I, I'm bearish on the term bullish, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, like this is, this is big big news and um i think one of the, the the most important things is they're going for it in a different way so they're going for this thing that's a, a bitcoin spot etf which hasn't been approved yet and that's slightly different and like we're going to see it's slightly more linked to, to bitcoin itself and they're actually going to hold bitcoin itself which is it's a big move right it's very big yeah it, it's huge um and it's it's also it's, it's important to know you know the, the, the timing of this is very interesting right because 
they've filed this uh, this application, BlackRock. They've filed with the US SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, who at the same time are really going after a lot of a lot of crypto companies like, like Coinbase. Um, you, you've got Ripple, Ripple as well in the crosshairs. So there's it's a, it's a strange time to be filing. Maybe they're thinking we're going to move first here while while we're in the bear market. Um, but yeah, as you say, BlackRock are so big that if anyone's going to be the black swan, it will be BlackRock, right, to do this. So why don't we actually get into a little bit of what we're we talking about here? Because we're just chucking this term ETF around. So <laughs> what what is your understanding, Alec? Because I've just had to look into this recently myself, right? As you've seen the term in the news, what, what do you understand by this term ETF? So my understanding, I'm, I'm not in this space, like I'm not a big investment bro by any means. So I think my understanding of funds generally is they're kind of a way for, I was going to say everyday people, but they're a way for almost anyone, big enterprises, small enterprises, individuals to effectively buy into a collection or a basket of different stocks and assets. So I have done some fund investment, like small, small scale, right? Um, Where you kind of, you trust a fund that basically regulates and monitors loads of different stocks, for example, in in one kind of overall basket of all the things. And I just say, put a bit of money in there and that goes across. And like one of the best bits about that is you get a lot of diversification across lots of different stocks rather than directly investing in one stock. Is that about right? Yeah, I think so. And it's one of the ones you'd be familiar to even as a retail investor. So again, you have two different types of investors, institutional, who are your big investment banks mm. and other commercial entities. And then you have retail investors like you and I, Alec, who get our bags uh, ruined every day on the market. But really, a uh, fund is something anyone can interact with uh, in general. And yeah, it's, the key is being it's a basket of goods. So the fund you would know most commonly is something like an S&P 500 fund, which is index fund. So that indexes mm. the whole market, right? That indexes the big public companies in uh, in America. And in the same way, an ETF is an, is an exchange traded fund. So that's what it stands for. And the exchange traded part just essentially means that it's a fund that is accessible to the masses and you can buy shares in this fund on the general stock exchange. And that's a key point actually, because when you're buying a stock, normally you think of buying a share in a company, but when you're buying into a fund, you're buying a share in effectively the returns of that basket of stocks. So you're not buying a single asset. Okay. So just to recap, because this is not my area at all. I imagine there's some listeners who are also struggling or hopefully also struggling. It's not just me. Um, So ETFs are exchange traded funds and they're effectively just a big basket of stocks and assets that are managed by someone in this instance will be managed by uh, BlackRock and they're accessible to retail and institutional investors on exchange is that about right yeah exactly exactly that maybe we should have prefaced with this episode with everything here is not financial advice we're not going to give any (laughs) (laughs) but definitely don't listen to us or anything like that exactly so the next step is then what is a spot etf and this was something interesting because a spot etf contains the underlying asset so this is the the big thing that's getting lots of people excited the underlying asset in this in this thing that we're going to talk about this blackrock bitcoin etf spoilers is actually is bitcoin itself so they're actually going to be owning bitcoin itself and it directly tracks the real time price of that and this is very different from futures etfs which have been granted in the past where they don't actually own the underlying asset they own futures contracts that speculate on future prices only and i have no idea what a future is so that kind of stuff is complete jargon to me jack 
exactly so I, I don't love looking into this myself and, and it's the terms i've come across before but now i've had to go and try and understand it a bit better so yeah as you say there's two main types of exchange traded fund you have the spot etf futures etf the spot etf is much easier to understand as you said it's essentially a basket of assets as we said a fund basket of assets that contains assets where you're interested in the underlying price the spot price so it's effectively think of it as what's the price on the spot if you were to ask me right now what's mm. the price of bitcoin that's how much i'm going to pay for it or another asset right you're thinking about it on the spot real time uh mm. the fund we say it tracks the price directly okay so if the value of bitcoin goes up then the value of the fund goes up end of story because that fund contains that the, that underlying asset it contains bitcoin in it so if bitcoin's price goes up the fund goes up futures etf as you said, it contains these things called futures contracts. So your fund does not contain assets or mm. the underlying assets. It, it contains futures contracts related to those underlying assets. And those futures contracts, as the term kind of implies futures, what they are, they're essentially a, uh, an agreement between a buyer and a seller to buy or sell a given asset at a future date for a given price and a given quantity. So it's essentially a contract that's like a bet on the price. Mm. And of course, that's linked to the underlying asset, because if the asset's going up in price, then, you know, you're going to have better odds on it, effectively, to use the gambling analogy. But it's only uh, linked to the underlying asset. You don't actually have the assets themselves in your basket. So it's a basket of these strange contracts, maybe not so smart contracts or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's the key difference there. I know it's a little bit abstract to understand, but just think of it as a basket of, uh, you know, you know, almost commodities versus a basket of papers about the commodities. Okay, that is, I think when you described it as a bet, that makes a lot more sense to me than these futures contracts. But a lot of it is just jargon, right? I miss the technology at this stage. So the thing is, why do people find ETFs useful? Not just Bitcoin ETFs that we're talking about now, but like I mentioned earlier, the big things around diversification. Diversity is the spice of life. The fact that you're investing in these funds that have lots of different stocks, it gives you that instant diversity. I just invest in a fund. I don't even know. I need to know what all the different assets are. I kind of trust that because they're spreading the bet across a lot of things then i'll probably be fine hopefully long term my investment will go up that's one of the big things right mm -hmm. yeah exactly that, that, that's that's a big piece of it it's de-risking because you're not just you're not just buying and stock picking they say stock picking when you go and buy a single asset is a really bad way of, mm -hmm. of uh, investing your money it's why you know another example of a fund that you put money into is a pension fund in, in your pension mm -hmm. plan from work you're not picking a stock you're putting it into a, a basket of assets so again that's the same reason you'd buy an etf now, the other reason, and on a similar note here, is that ETFs themselves are very accessible because they're exchange traded. That means the institutions like your pension fund. So when you're putting your pension contributions into your pension provider, they are then putting that money into funds, right? And mm -hmm. if you have an ETF for some asset, that means those pension funds, for example, can put your assets into that. They can buy you shares of that ETF and get your return. So it becomes accessible to general investors as well as these institutions that would invest on your behalf, uh, typically. Okay. So I guess that also relates to the regulation side as well. So we're saying that like going into ETFs, you assume that because you're going with large regulated bodies that have probably done their due diligence on the stocks they're investing in, you have a, a, a kind of a degree of certainty and probably much more comfortable in investing. That. So the regulation, which is definitely going to become quite an important talking point a bit later on, is another reason why people think that ETFs are useful mechanisms for investing. Yeah, exactly. And as we'll come on to, yeah, especially with these kind of emerging asset classes, an ETF where, as you said, you have this kind of trusted big custodian like BlackRock 
uh, to, to, they're the ones custodying the funds. They're what the ones taking the kind of ultimate risk in all this. Mm. Not you, you as the end investor. You're just buying a share of their their basket. So, yeah, the fact that it's regulated and it'll be done by a big provider is what gives people a lot of confidence to dip their toes into the market. And you know, other institutions that maybe are not so big and have the same risk appetite as BlackRock, they'll be able to invest through that and gain some. Uh, we call it price exposure, right? They want to be exposed to the upside as Bitcoin price may increase, if it does, mm-hmm. uh, and don't want to be exposed when it decreases. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the fact that they can do this in a kind of indirect way is very useful to them. Yeah. And is it correct to say that these these spot funds are more efficient than futures funds because they're more directly linked to the actual, say, asset class and the live price and that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's my understanding from what I've read, is that because your futures funds are, you're actually buying a share on the returns of these futures contracts, then those contracts, the price of those can be, they can lag, they can drift. Mm. There's also a cost associated with, you know, creating the contracts in the first place, more Mm -hmm. so than there is sometimes in actually just buying the assets themselves um, that would be at a spot ETF. Yeah, and this is a big thing with Bitcoin specifically, you know, cryptocurrencies generally because of the volatility, right? Like if you're, say, you're betting on something in the future that, you know, maybe you can update or get out of in a month's time, like how much does the price of Bitcoin fluctuate (laughs) per hour, let alone per month? Like people want to get out as soon as possible, right? Maybe that's not a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. But I can understand why people are particularly excited about the idea of investing in these kind of these spot ETFs because, like you say, more efficient, especially when it comes to volatility that you're going to see when investing in Bitcoin specifically. Yeah, exactly. That, that I, I 100% agree, and it's I, I, I can't imagine how scary it must be to uh, to have a have some shares of a, a futures fund right now in crypto. <laughs> um, so one thing I think is definitely worth us covering here as well, and I didn't realize this until kind of reading up a bit more about it this week, is that with that everyone's calling this the bitcoin etf right because this is the the first filing of a of a spot etf that looks like it might make it through past the sec mm-hmm. but it's not the first bitcoin etf because there are actually many futures etfs that exist it's just mm. the spot etf that hasn't been done so you know there are a few examples there's one called pro shares it's got the the ticker bitto there's also a pro shares short futures fund and when when they say short this is when you're actually betting on the price to go down which is interesting. Mm. So you're creating contracts to sell it at a, at a, at a kind of um, assuming the price has gone lower in the future. Um, so people might use that hedge funds, for example, to hedge risks of, of other assets going going uh, up as well. And I think that's quite interesting because that kind of highlights the point that that's one company ProShares uh, facilitating the people that believe in the price going up and facilitating the people that believe in the price going down. And I think this is particularly important because maybe it doesn't actually, all of this stuff doesn't necessarily mean that BlackRock itself believes that Bitcoin is going to go to the moon, all this kind of stuff. It just believes that its investors want to invest, be it positively, negatively. It's just facilitating that investment on behalf of its consumers, right? Yeah, exactly. What's that quote about in times of war, you know, to own the means of production, own the ammunition or whatever, and don't take a side. That's kind of what it feels like a lot of these. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not a quote. I, I, I can't remember. <laughs> but, um, it's, you know, they're offering this financial product to people, whatever their whatever their interest, right? So that's the idea. Yeah. So yeah, given that we've had all these futures ETFs existing, we don't have a spot ETF. And there have been a lot of examples of them uh, being filed, right? But not actually being successful so far. 
Okay. Do we know the reasons? Like, is it just lack of regulation? Is it the technology itself? They're not thinking that Bitcoin's safe enough to invest in, or is it the way in which the kind of these investment facilitators are regulated themselves? Yeah, I, I, I think this is one way everyone's opinion will differ. I think for me, part of it is potentially going too early, whilst you have all this regulatory uncertainty, like as we said. The SEC mm. are going after various crypto exchanges at the minute already. So it's, it makes sense why they might have um, rejected applications. But you've even got examples where Grayscale, for example, have had an appeal of a, of a rejected application now and held mm. in court. So they had an application rejected. They've taken it to court and they've had their appeal um, actually seen successfully. So they might end up having an ETF approved as well. And I, I agree. I think it's just a it's combination of how much you trust the institution that's, uh, that's offering the ETF and where the regulatory status is. I mean, one example of a rejected one was the Winklevoss brothers who, who <laughs> filed the Winklevoss Bitcoin Trust, right? So maybe maybe the SEC saw the <laughs> saw the social network and didn't want to trust them with uh, with an ETF. I don't know. Because those Winklevoss twins are actually they're, they're two of the, the biggest owners of Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. I think generally, whenever I see like the top 10 list, I'm like, like, they are always top of the list, I think. So they are big believers. So I understand why there's an incentive for them to facilitate other consumers being able to invest in Bitcoin, because like you say, I mean, maybe there's a bit of market manipulation there or whatever it is, but it's in their best interest to support other people, institutions, especially investing in Bitcoin because of all the reasons we're about to talk about as to why it will benefit Bitcoin potentially. Yeah, exactly. I think that's been the main cited reason, right, is the risk of market manipulation, which can be done if you have a big player who's uh, in an emerging market who might have a lot of the supply and, and changing things. So, yeah, what, what do we know right now? Well, we know the application was filed in June. There's a lot of noise now around the SEC potentially being ready to approve as soon as kind of January or Q1 of 2024. Mm. And I, there was some news the other day, right? I, I can't remember when this ex was exactly, but did you see this about the, the false report that happened? Yeah, yeah. I was on, I was scrolling on Twitter at the time. Was it, was it Coindesk, I think? falsely tweeted that it got approved and the price of Bitcoin went up 10% and then they pulled it down 30 minutes later. Yeah, that's why they say uh, sell the news, right? Because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> that's it's like not perfect even example. True. Isn't that that's a perfect example of market manipulation? Like if you can, exactly. you know, just so one person tweeting that thing, if they'd have invested heavily in Bitcoin, tweeted that thing within the half an hour, sold their, you know, whatever Bitcoin they had and made a 10% profit and all that kind of stuff. Like the volatility, and that exists in most shares, right? But the volatility of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin specifically means it. there is a degree of kind of, it's, a, it's slightly different, right? It's a bit scarier. And it shows you why the, the regulators would take so long in approving one, right? Because when it's that easy to move the market, we've seen uh, the, the moves from Donald Trump and Elon Musk tweets in the past, right? When the market, honestly, that fragile in terms of um, price action, then it makes sense mm. that you'd be, you'd be cautious. So let's talk about how, how does it actually work then, one of these Bitcoin ETFs? Because we, we talked about spot ETFs generally. So how does it work specifically for Bitcoin? Are there any are there any specifics to it that are, are interesting, do you think? So like I said earlier, I think one of the most interesting things about BlackRock's proposed spot ETF is they're actually going to buy Bitcoin and own and store Bitcoin themselves securely in, in vaults and then 
I mean, if we kind of go back to a few episodes ago, they are effectively going to act as the gated, trusted custodians of the Bitcoin and then offer out, you know, shares of those Bitcoins to all their institutional retail consumers, whoever it may be. And this is kind of like a, a, maybe a Web 2.5 type thing that we could kind of go into a little bit. Is it for Web 3? No, it's not. But if it's like de-risking it enough for people, then there's a bit of um, there's some benefits there. Yeah, exactly. And that is kind of the interesting aspect here, right, is that you have to actually own the assets. That's why the spot is very different to the futures. You have to mm -hmm. own the assets in this fund to provide that fund. And all those all those issues you have as a, an individual trying to, 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 to have exposure to crypto, right? Before this, you have to get an account on a crypto exchange or you have to know someone or you have to have mined when you were, mm -hmm. you know, back in 2016 or something like that, right, or 2012. So effectively, what you're getting here is a very de-risked exposure to the Bitcoin mm. price as a retailer or institutional investor, but especially as a retail investor, I think, where no longer do you have to worry about all these things to do with wallets and keys and who's the yeah. custodian, because, again, you have like one of the most trusted providers who will be heavily regulated who is custodying it. Like normally the people worry about crypto exchanges because they say, not your keys, not your coins, right? Mm. When it's BlackRock holding it, and then the amount at stake for them at risk of them, you know, misbehaving, you, you know, they're not going to go and they're going to go and do anything wrong if they intentionally. Right. Yeah. And this, I think like maybe principally I had an issue with this kind of thing, you know, it's very anti web three kind of removes some of the, the benefits that we've stated in previous episodes, but they're, they're effectively play, doing what a Coinbase does. And I don't really have too many problems with Coinbase. If it's helping facilitate people's use of these technologies and it's it's kind of like a gateway technology like if they're just slowly getting to terms with it as a kind of a way to de-risk like some of the things we've talked about like the difficulties in rotating keys storing you know all these mm. secret puzzles this is the kind of stuff then i am a proponent of it because i do think it will enable people then to eventually feel comfortable enough to go to the full web3 paradigm that i hope that we're moving towards um but we're, one of the things that like i said that i also find interesting is they will hold these bitcoins themselves and then issue shares to individuals on behalf of like actually based on these bitcoins it's kind of like a what do we call it that um asset backed currencies that we kind of talked about in previous yeah, episodes stable coin type stuff yeah yeah exactly and you know again again in this case you trust blackrock to issue one-to-one -one more than you might do other stable coin issuers right so again this is where trust is working in our favor i think in, in web3 at the minute yeah so why do you think that people want a bitcoin etf then well i think 99 percent of people who currently know about this bitcoin etf are bitcoin holders and they want it because they know what it is potentially going to do to the price right and and again this is not, this is not my analysis but what people are speculating is that as you said, BlackRock will need to accumulate a large reserve of Bitcoins. As I think the number I've seen is around 100 million is, is the size of this fund because they want it to be big enough to, to, to serve a big enough number of institutional and retail customers. So they'll be buying a huge reserve of Bitcoin. This creates demand and buying pressure, it increases the price you know, to higher levels uh, as you know, basic economics would dictate. So a lot of people are just expecting you know, BlackRock doing this and having it approved to see the price spike. And as you said, 10% on some false news of approval is uh, is significant for, for an asset that's already around the half a trillion mark, I think, these days. 
Yeah, like you say, and like a hundred million doesn't seem like that much. Like you say, I think the the Bitcoin market cap, which I said I have a problem with, the, you know, using market cap as a, as a means of success for for cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, you say it's around half a trillion. I think it's actually like six hundred and fifty billion. Hundred million is kind of like a drop in the ocean compared to that. Some of the numbers that I saw analysts from like Bloomberg and McKinsey throwing around was um, that they actually think that if it goes ahead. Even though it's 100 million right now, the amount of money they'll actually bring in directly through that in the first year alone will be something like 14 billion, and like wow. that is it's a it's a big that's a big number, right? That's a significant percentage of what what we just said, especially when we think of like in terms of trends and forecasts and how that will kind of hopefully grow as more and more institutions kind of base things on that. Um, it, yeah, it is going to be a big mover. Exactly. And yeah, 100 million is what is kind of being projected as like just the, the foot in the door, right? Like just to mm. start this thing off. You can imagine if this is successful, how, how big it's going to get, right? Those 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 bigger numbers, I think, will will definitely come. So obviously, we've talked about BlackRock being a big, uh, big player, big, you know, basically the big the big daddy of finance uh, in, <laughs> in, in the classic traditional finance tradfi world. But you know, what is that the only difference this time or is there anything else that you're aware of what, why this they think this is going to be um, likely to be approved? Why are we actually talking about this as opposed to all the, the rejected applications so far? Yeah, so one thing that I've, a term that I've heard banded around is this surveillance sharing agreement with NASDAQ. I don't know much about it, but I think it's to do with like transparency on how they operate and auditability and things like this. Yeah, that, I think that's basically the key here, other than BlackRock being this big player, is that they have put in this filing, as you said, the surveillance sharing agreement. And this basically means that they're, they're going to be sharing with NASDAQ and have an open channel on lots of the operations of the fund to avoid that market manipulation risk, right? There's debates mm -hmm. around, you know, how, how much is this really going to add compared to other crypto exchanges where lots of this you can track on the blockchain anyway, to be honest, I've seen that argued. But this is the key difference between a lot of the old filings and has actually triggered lots of the old filings that were, were in progress or rejected to be refiled with this new requirement. And in the intention that it will kind of assuage this fear of market manipulation and everything should go ahead as a normal ETF. That's the kind of basic difference um, that BlackRock are bringing to the table now. That's interesting. BlackRock do not mess around, do they? I saw no. that um, Bloomsburg said that there was a 75% chance of approval. I think it was in January or first quarter. McKinsey said it's about 85%. So it's highly likely this is going to happen. And I think one thing that I think my understanding is that BlackRock are going to use Coinbase as a means of actually acquiring and transacting the Bitcoin as well, which is quite interesting, right? Yeah, exactly. I think you know part of the issue in the past is those... Uh, institutions like Coinbase haven't been seen as necessarily trusted enough in and of themselves, but in combination with this surveillance uh, sharing agreement is, is is just enough to make them be able to use some of the other providers. So I think that's definitely a positive move overall here, right, is that it's showing cooperation between traditional finance institutions and, and the new kind of Web3 um, distributed world finance institutions that we've seen <laughs> like Coinbase. So. Yeah. And just to like emphasize some of the, the kind of things we've been talking about quite generally throughout is one of the main positive impacts of this is of BlackRock moving into the space and potentially you know, facilitating the ownership of Bitcoin through you know institutions, retailers, whatever it is, is it's institutional adoption. 
it's a general kind of trend of institutions wanting to move into that space. And there's a lot of kind of secondary effects of that. One is definitely the price stability that we've talked about, you know, more money moving to that space, not only more money, but more money from very regulated players moving into that space who can't just, you know, pull out the carpet from out underneath investors they have to you know they're actually public facing public listed they have to answer to the government and its consumers and all this kind of stuff so it's not just the amount of money that's coming in it's also where that money's coming from which is, is quite an interesting thing and on the regulation point i think that this is really going to start to put bitcoin more and more under the regulatory spotlight it's gonna maybe in the short term it might put a lot of red tape around things it might affect some companies kind of having to keep up with the regulation that's definitely going to be kind of be um emphasized and pushed even harder but long term i think like we've said in the past it's absolutely needed like bitcoin cryptocurrencies the entire web3 space needs regulation for governmental trust for institutional trust and for everyday users to actually be able to trust in the service themselves i think that's a massive impact that's going to come from this yeah, exactly. You'd think that a move like this, if the SEC are going to approve a spot ETF for Bitcoin, then they would have to be, this is the point. It feels like the point to me mm. where now there'll be complete regulatory clarity quite soon down the line on the status of Bitcoin and many other crypto assets, you know, whether they're securities or not, we've discussed before the Coinbase, the Ripple mm -hmm. cases as well. I think we'll get a lot of that clarity coming soon. Some of the negative aspects of this, I mean, I think there's probably few downsides that I'm personally worried about. I've seen a lot of talk about, well, you know, this is just classic TradFi trying to get their slice of the pie, concentration mm -hmm. of wealth going into the, the old hands as well, et cetera, et cetera. I think the one that I'm slightly, the one that I do buy a little bit more is the kind of, there's a risk to your both your institutional and your retail investors at the kind of existential level again, right? If Bitcoin fails completely, if, if, um, if confidence goes in this system, if there's, if there's a break in the security model, for example, mm -hmm. somehow that we don't anticipate, then at the system level, then you have this contagion. And we saw last year with FTX, the last time all the big institutions bought into anything in Web3, the contagion that spread when it all came down was was hideous, right? And we're seeing mm -hmm. just now that the trial happening, the number of other big companies, even traditional finance, who were exposed to that. And the institutional investors that lost out was significant. So that's my only real worry. But again, because it's BlackRock and because of, of the way they're approaching this, I, I, I'm feeling a little bit less worried than I, I think I would otherwise. Yeah, you'd hope that, you know, with all that money on the line, BlackRock would do its due diligence, maybe more so than you and I. I think, yeah, completely echo what you said there. The other thing that I kind of feel is a bit of a negative as I kind of maybe I'm just going on about it all the time is the utility versus crypto kind of thing. You know, me, you and I, we're not investment bros. Like we're techies Like we, we, we develop applications. We want to see this, like the, the magnitude of, and the kind of the great expanse of projects and applications that we're constantly talking about all the benefits that this can bring from a technology standpoint, being the things that get the limelight. And, you know, this ETF thing kind of focuses so much on the speculative aspects, the number go up, number go down, which in my mind, in a lot of ways kind of is to the detriment of all the crazy cool technology and applications that we're talking about week in and week out. And I hope that it doesn't detract from it. I hope it just means there's a lot more money being pumped into those incredible companies that we're constantly talking about. But in the back of my mind, I am always when someone talks about speculative tools, like, well, can I, how can I invest in Bitcoin? I'm like, ah, 
but there's so much more than that. Web3 is so much more than just Bitcoin investment. Come on, look at everything else that's out there. So that's a negative for me. Yeah, I feel I feel kind of similar, to be honest. I mean, I, I know I've seen Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock. He's been likening this to the gold ETF, right? So, mm. you know, strengthening, strengthening this narrative that Bitcoin is just digital gold, which I don't like because it doesn't do enough of a justice into to all those applications of Bitcoin and, and Web3 that we talk about. But at the same time, I do kind of feel like it's a it's still a necessary step on that journey. Um, there's a couple of other little things at the end I just want to touch on here, right? So maybe slightly more wacky nuanced pieces here but mm. some, some things i've seen floating around so did you see this this hard fork clause in the disclosure the etf filing from blackrock nope i did not what's that okay so this is really interesting i think if you're kind of getting your conspiratorial hat on for just okay. a second okay so at one point they talk about uh, hard forks of bitcoin and i'm, <laughs> I'm sure we'll have a full episode on this because it's a fascinating topic but essentially when you have disputes in the network you can have forks occur so if you've ever heard of bitcoin and bitcoin cash then the reason for those two existing and it not just being one bitcoin why do we have two is that there was a hard fork right that's the, the long and the short of it so this is the like the ethereum versus the ethereum classic that exactly. we talked about yeah. like a couple of episodes ago that was kind of thing yeah yeah but great if i remembered that of course but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you can have this there's plenty of examples of it happening in, in all sorts of blockchains there's a there's a clause in this in this etf filing from blackrock that says this so it's talking about it, it, the, the provider, the sponsor of this ETF. It says it can use its discretion to determine which network should be considered the appropriate network for the trust's processes. And that there's no guarantee that the sponsor will choose the digital asset that is ultimately the most valuable fork, basically in the event of a fork, right? So they're basically saying that they're going to be judge, jury, and executioner over what Bitcoin is in the event of a hard fork, right? And that mm. they might not take the most valuable one and as we've seen in the past you know the, the difference in value between the two chains if you look at B btc and bch right now the, the, mm. the difference is, is is a chasm so that's really interesting i think i don't know what what they're thinking about there what, do you have any thoughts so they're going to be judge judy and executioner i mean that is huge <laughs> so i'm just yeah i think the thing that, you, that you're saying there is imagine if they bring in all this money and eventually like the BlackRock ETF is like the primary kind of custodian of, of Bitcoin in a way like they have. Imagine if they're like 60% of the entire Bitcoin holding uh, kind of consumers and retail investors all going through them. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? We actually don't like what the network's doing right now. We're going to fork, make our own network and all that money is going to come with us. And this is now the new Bitcoin. They'll call it and a Bitcoin BlackRock or something like that. Um, yeah, that's quite scary. And like, this, this clause that you put in there actually says they can do that. And the fact that it's like, it's not, they don't have to go with the most valuable fork seems very counterintuitive to an investment fund, right? The whole point is around what's the most valuable? How do I get the most returns on my investments? Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying this is a kind of a big state psyop or something to, to mm. take over Bitcoin. I, I actually think, I think it's just a very smart, savvy thing to put in this in the filing because it means if there is a fork like we had in 2017 with bitcoin bitcoin cash it means that you know they, they can make whatever choice it makes sense for them and ultimately for all these institutional and, uh, and retail investors at the end of it i don't think they're gonna be trying to to co-opt bitcoin necessarily but i think it's interesting and also there's there's kind of i've seen speculation around well what are they defining as bitcoin now okay because they mm. mentioned the, the historical forks and because we're talking about a fund, remember we said a basket of goods, but we've only been talking about Bitcoin. And all we know is that necessarily, I, again, my understanding is 
that just means the fund has to include Bitcoin. So it has to track the price of Bitcoin. That doesn't necessarily mean that they can't be tracking the price of a basket of Bitcoins, all these different forks that exist. <laughs> so who know, who's to say they're not, they're not uh, accumulating all these other chains that, that exist as well? Wow. And on that uh, tinfoil bombshell, <laughs> they were going yeah. to, close, to the close, right? That was a good one, though. This is a super interesting topic. Let's see where we're at in a couple of months' time when the likelihood is this, this ETF actually will be approved and all this potential liquidity is going to come in and Bitcoin is going to be the new gold or whatever they're saying right now. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure we'll check up on this one in the new year. And uh, I hope everyone didn't uh, didn't get too bored by this format of us just talking about <laughs> something that's happening in the news. But uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be more of these to come in the future. So yeah, with that, we'll say thank you for listening wherever you may be and join us next time to untangle more of Web3. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.